Umkunftsradio. Hi, hello, hola, and hello. Welcome to My Kids Think I'm Cool, but podcast. A podcast about getting knocked up in a foreign country, families living abroad, and raising children in a different culture. All while trying to keep your cool and not lose your shit. I'm your host, Jackie, an American Filipino mom living in Denmark, and my kids think I'm cool, but... I gave my son some crackers from the floor. So, lately, my one-year-old son finds joy in throwing food on the ground and seeing me pick it up. So, lately, I just pick it up and it just lands on the floor. So, I just pick it up real quick and actually give it back to him because I'm tired of throwing away all the food that every time it drops on the floor, I'm throwing away so much food. So, I call it the five-second rule. I don't know if you guys know about the five-second rule. Once If it hits the ground less than five seconds, it's still good. I, I still blow off if just in case there's dust. I still blow it off, blow the dust off. But um, yeah, I've been feeding my son food from the ground. <laughs> if you guys have a butt or want to share it, please send it through my website or my Facebook page because I would love to share it to the world and know what your butt is with your kids. So it is Christmas week. So happy Christmas, everyone. Or Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. I don't know which holiday you guys are celebrating, but Happy Holidays. And I hope everyone is ready for the holiday season. The beginning of this month, I actually started the Advent Calendar podcast series where I interviewed 25 internationals living abroad. And I wanted them to kind of talk about what their, how they celebrate Christmas in their home country and where they celebrate Christmas now, either it's in Denmark or in Netherlands or in Italy, but I thought it would be interesting to just kind of share where they're celebrating their Christmas and how they celebrate it in balance with their spouse if their spouse is actually international. So if you guys haven't heard of it, uh, check it out online on my website. I have the whole series on there and I'm almost to Christmas. So um, yeah, if you want to see all, um, listen to the previous ones from December 1st until now, they're all up on there. So now let's get back to my regular show. Today in the studio, I have a Kenyan mom that is a traveler, a journalist, and a photographer. She has been living in Denmark with her family for seven years. She has two sons with her Danish husband. So please welcome Judah, Judy Wajinko Yorkson. Did I say that right? <laughs> Judy Wajinko Yorkson. Yeah, Judy Wajinko <laughs> I am, yeah, I need to start practicing a lot of people's last name, but I talk to so many internationals and yeah. they have so many unique last names. That I'm like, oh my gosh, I fear, I don't fear the interview, I fear saying their name. <laughs> Would you have no problem saying my last name? Yeah, yours is like common in the US, Vinilova. David Villanueva. You see, you cannot still say it. It's Villanueva. Villanueva. What? <laughs> <laughs> I just this say Dave. Actually, yeah. you know the Dave. place where that surname is the most common? It's yeah. not even in Spain. you know where it is? In the U.S.? In the Philippines. In the Philippines. Oh, yeah, yeah that is uh, my is good friend is Filipino, and that's his last name. Villanueva. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not Villanueva? So oh. I've been saying her, his last name wrong? Yeah, in the Spanish, you pronounce the double L like a J. Yeah. Ah, yo. Ah. My Spanish class is coming back, and you're right. The, the, the double L is yo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, anyways, besides uh, ruining your last name, sorry for that. Uh, I'm really happy that you are here to share your life in Denmark with me and the listeners of my podcast and radio show. I've been following Judy since I moved here to Denmark and she posts about interesting articles about her life here in Denmark and also her life as a Kenyan mom. Her blog on Facebook is called Memoirs of a Kenyan Mom and she also has a website called Judy Wajinku. <laughs> <laughs> no, my website is also Memoirs of a Kenyan Mom. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's judywanderi.net because okay. Wanderi was my dad's oh, name. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll also have that on my website so you guys can follow her and see what she's up to here in Denmark. Well, Judy, welcome to My Kids Think I'm Cool But podcast and radio show. Happy holidays. Any uh, plans for the holiday? Um, this holiday, we're actually doing it a bit different. For the past um, six years, not last year, but the past five years, we've always done it with the in-laws. So we kind of rotate among the in-laws. But this year, due to the pandemic and also the fact that we always travel, we decided to do a more or chilled uh, Christmas. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to be home, my husband and the kids, because I feel like sometimes it's also nice to just celebrate Christmas, you know, as, as family without having to travel and all that. Of course, the kids will miss their cousins, but I think it's also time to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. So you're having a cozy... Yeah. Cozy Christmas home. Yeah, I want to do it like really Danish with all the hug and the lights yeah. and the Christmas tree because I'm not a big Christmas person. Yeah. yeah. But I want to make sure that my kids can start having that warm feeling when it's around the holiday times because I had a different experience growing up. But I want to like change the experience for them and make yeah. it really cozy it's been cozy for them but i've not been sold off to the whole idea so, so you haven't fully went into the danish christmas yeah. yet until this year yeah I, I mean just christmas overall but i feel that whole like traveling and always being in someone else's home and this yeah. is just time to just slow it down and corona has uh, given us also that sort of and the restrictions now in denmark that yeah we must sort of try and avoid traveling if we can yeah so, yeah, but we decided we're just going to keep it mellow cozy. and cozy yeah, and yeah. stay home. And yeah. th that's good, too. And as long as the kids have the experience of having that kind of Christmas here in Denmark and then also having the experience back in Kenya. Yeah. So they have both. Yeah. Also, my kids have both experience and I think they love it. It's just balancing it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So when does Santa come? <laughs> that's yeah. the question for yeah, my kids. Oh, like, is Santa real? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But he's real. <laughs> well, that's debatable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to the famous question, uh, how did you end up in Denmark? Well, I ended up in Denmark uh, twice. Well, the first time I came to Denmark, I was um, bright-eyed, 20-something-year-old, uh, came here on a full scholarship. Mm -hmm. I, I needed to get away from Kenya. I needed to get away from, you know, the whole environment where I'd grown up. And I felt like I had reached a point in, in my education in Kenya where I could have moved forward and mm -hmm. gotten a good job. But I felt that I needed to sort of spread my wings a little bit. And I knew I couldn't afford uh, doing that on my own because uh, all my life I've had, like my uncle is the one who's paid my education for my education. So after I finished university in Kenya, I went to an American university. I started looking for scholarships mm -hmm. and I wanted to go to the U.S., but I didn't want to take those English competency tests that they do in the U.S. Plus U.S., it's, it's a little tricky to get a scholarship. 
But so I started looking for scholarships and I ended up getting a full scholarship to come and study here in Denmark for six months and then six months in Amsterdam and one year in the UK. And it, I got a stipend too, so I was paid to study and it was like a dream come true mm-hmm. because it was two years. And so while studying here, I happened to meet my husband, but back then we were friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Friends for now. <laughs> <laughs> we were friends and nothing serious and we courted for two years. And so after I finished my graduate studies and then I went back to Kenya, traveled to the Philippines, went back to Kenya again and I was really unsettled. And so we started talking about this thing that we had and what do we do about it. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't want to come back to Denmark because I felt that I wanted to be in Kenya because, you know, as an adult, we always want, like, I knew that I wanted to live the rest of my life in Kenya. But when I went back to Kenya after being abroad, I was quite unsettled. Mm. Maybe it's because my heart was in a different place. And so that's how I ended up coming back here in 2013, in the winter of 2013, after being here in 2009 for my graduate studies. So I came back in 2013, we got married and we had our child in also in 2013. So was the process easy for you to move uh, to Denmark, um, not being in the student, um, you know, the student life or student scholarship here in Denmark? Yeah, well, I can say it was a, it was easy because having lived here, we didn't have so many problems with immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also very expensive. We were newly graduated. My my husband was also newly graduated mm-hmm. and he had been on an apprenticeship. So we didn't have like a lot of money saved up. But thankfully, like his uh, family, his parents stepped in and gave us the guarantee that we needed because mm-hmm. we needed like 50,000 Danish krona guarantee for wow. our visa. Yeah, family. Yeah, that yeah. time now it's a hundred thousand. Yeah, I mean, if it was now, we'd be fucked. <laughs> Sorry for my French, but yeah. Um, but I mean, like, I was really optimistic. We were mm-hmm. really optimistic, and we had a new family, so we did not think. It's like later when all the shocks like started to boom, boom, boom. You know, hit us. But coming here, like, we were really optimistic, and we were looking forward to studying. Yeah, in life. Yeah. Can you describe your first week in Denmark, finally settling in, and you can ca- call Denmark your home now? I think when or I came back, um, now as a mom and as a wife, I was filled with déjà vu mm-hmm. because having been here as a student, I lived in an international bubble, and I did not care for anything that was Danish uh, except. Of course, Alan, but I didn't care to learn the language. I didn't care to learn the signs. So then now I came back and I was walking on the same streets, same shops, and I knew nothing of what they meant. And that was like something that really messed up my mind because finally it was like, oh, maybe I should have taken a little bit more interest when I was here. (laughs) Who knew I would come back, you know? But I was so, like, I was in a happy place in my relationship and I loved being a mom. Mm-hmm. So, like, I devoted all my time to being a mom. Yeah. Like, it, like, my life was panning out in the way that I wanted. So as much as there was a lot of culture shock and everything, I focused a lot on just being a mom. Talking about, like, culture shocks, what was your biggest culture shock when you moved here as a student and then after moving here the second time as a um international parent or international yeah i think the weather first 
I was not prepared for winter. When I moved as a as a student, it was the first time in my life ever I saw snow. <laughs> so I remember when the, we had that snowfall in 2009. If you would go into the records, you will see it was the like the one time Denmark had a white Christmas, like a real white Christmas. And that year I didn't lots of my classmates went back home and I stayed. And I remember when the snow started falling, Alan came up to my room and said, "Oh, you need to come outside and see." And I walk out with my pajamas and there's all this snow falling and me with my africanness i open my mouth and i start like <laughs> 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 and it started and it was so magical it was everything i saw in the movies and i was just like having it all fall on me and i got so sick afterwards yeah i nearly got pneumonia but it was so magical and then I you know I ended up um Alan ended up inviting me to his family for the Christmas yeah. and it, and you know it was my first time to see a real Christmas because you know Danes are real you know, into it yeah they are really into it there was the Christmas tree and presents it was something like from a movie yeah but I was like there were just so many things I think like culture shock can be both positive and uh, negative yeah. yeah but I feel like now when I came back now as as an adult with a child there were certain things i think for one like the gaming culture like my husband is a big gamer yeah and i never saw that like i never thought that adults game and so that was like one of the issues that i had to like let go yeah let go and think and sort of put myself in his shoes and think okay this thing this then i realized that people even earn money from this mm-hmm. and there's and, like pro gamer yeah, yeah and he's like a pro gamer and he's been doing this for years and his his friends they've been gaming for the past i don't know 20 years so it's a real thing but for me it used to be like what is that that, that <laughs> It's a child thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I really had to like understand some men go out to play football, some men go to drink, others game. Yeah. So those are the things like oh, and I feel like every year has had its own element of culture shock, but I mean like it's different when you're a student and when you're married and also just also the relationships mm-hmm. between, you know, in-laws and everything and how You're like open families here are yeah. and they talk about everything. Yeah. You know <laughs> everything and I'd be, I would be like hold on like some things we don't talk about <laughs> back home, you know. So like just reaching that compromise and not having you know because when it's an interracial family you have to like sort of compromise a lot mm-hmm. and not just interracial intercultural and also yeah. even just every marriage I feel even though you're from the same country yeah. yeah because it's different families and even when it's in your family there's a lot of compromise so that was also something that just how open they are like Yeah, I definitely <laughs> realized that too when I first came here to visit um openness on how they talk about uh talk about things with uh, children. Uh, they're very open with that yeah. and then openness with their body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was I a mean, shocker new, for new, me. Nudity here like going to It's the normal. G- yeah, yeah. My mom when my mom came to visit, I forgot to tell her that <laughs> we went to the same. <laughs> we went to the swim hall and I forgot to tell her, "Oh, by the way, 
here it's open door policy, you know? And my mom was just sitting there with my newborn son and she sees this woman coming towards her and she's not sure where to look because it's like right there. And and I was like, oh yeah, that thing with nudity in Denmark, yeah, we don't have doors on, uh, you know, in the gym or it's like an open hall. And But I really like it because I went to high school the same and my high school was also open door. We showered like ducks outside. Yeah. So I was I was already comfortable exposing my body mm-hmm. to to strangers but coming here was also that sense of like now I was aware that I was different yeah you know and in my blackness I could feel the eyes like when you're sharing and I'm like and the kids the kids yeah, will, they the just kids stare. will just tear yeah, they'll be like yeah <laughs> and I'm like okay you know so. <laughs> and sometimes it's the first time seeing a, a yeah. black person yeah yeah and I mean like I came to you know because I never felt black before mm-hmm. I moved to Denmark, you know, because when you're in a country where everyone looks like you, like that's the last of your problem. You know, you have other issues to deal with. <laughs> yeah. So it's only now that I was like, oh, so this is what blackness. And now I started to understand blackness from like an American point of view and mm-hmm. what that means, because most people here, even when they know blackness is what they see in the movies, you know, it's what they see from the Hollywood portrayal of mm-hmm. blackness. And so to sort of find my place there, it was like just a whole big mess. But it's also when you understand how people perceive blackness, you're also able to uh, understand how to, you know, be yourself Mm -hmm. without, you know, conforming to anyone or anything. But, yeah, I think every is just full of its own culture shocks. I feel now I've passed, because culture shock, you know, it's like the five stages of grief. Yeah. And now I'm in the acceptance. Yeah. Yeah, it took me seven years. There's still some things that I was like, huh, yeah, I didn't know about that. Or that culture shocked me, uh, and I'm used to it. And then um, you talk to another international, and they that's mm. a new culture shock for them. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I didn't tell you about that one. Yeah. So it's like new to them, but you're like, oh, yeah, I'm used to that already. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And you sort of don't want to diminish or invalidate the, yeah. the intensity of their culture shock because having been there and gone through that, well, they're there, that's everything. So you don't want to be like, oh, you'll get over it. Because, right, when you're in that moment, everything just can be overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, that was me when uh, the whole open door thing. Yeah. I was like, where do I look? I don't know where to look. Where do I put my eyes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think right now, like my family, we're just nudist. We just, you know, my son is like, but mom, please, you know. <laughs> if my fr- friends do come over, I'm Come like, on, mom. <laughs> it's a supermarket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would just be like that Zoom mom who went into, walked into her son's Zoom class, but naked. <laughs> The kid just was dying. <laughs> my mom is the same when, because I, I also took her to the swimming hall when my first, uh, my first daughter was born, or mm. my first daughter, my daughter was born, mm. and I forgot to tell her, mm. and she was also like, uh, 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 yeah. what's going on? And I was yeah. like, oh yeah, mom, yeah, everyone's naked here. Yeah, yeah. And she was like sitting in the corner, like, uh, didn't know what to look, so yeah. all confused. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, so I was like, oh, man, I just put you through that. <laughs> yeah, it's like throwing them right into the deep end, you yeah. know. I yeah. threw them in without the life raft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, didn't say, like, it gives this sense of oneness because when you see each other naked, you're able to see people for people and not yeah. just see them because clothes, you can wear anything and people mm-hmm. will judge you with your clothing. But when you're naked, you're all there bare in your yeah. humanity. So. Literally bare. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they say like fellowship. It gives this sense of fellowship, of oneness. And yeah. 
Yeah, and I, it took me a while to understand that because my first year I was like, you know, like trying to cover up, real, mm. dress real quick or shower real quick. Now I just like take my time. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this yeah. is me. Yeah, yeah. And then like my daughter just running around naked or my son. Yeah. Like, it's like they're used to it. Yeah. It's like they grew up with it. Yeah, but now when you, like I have boys, so now when we go to the swimming hall, they don't want to come with me anymore. But yeah. sometimes they have no option because if they're not with their dad, then they have to come. And that's also something because, you know, you, you walk into a, a, a swim, like the bathroom at the swim swim hall with boys and they're showering with grown women. And it's also, you know, see like just how normalized nudity yeah. is here, you know. And when they also walk in, when it's the same gender and you're showering with people who... I, I feel like it just does something where people like normalize. Yeah. But then, and I don't feel like body shaming is Mm-mm. such a big issue in Denmark. No. Because people are used to seeing each other, you know, naked in yeah. that sense. So unless, of course, there's body shaming, but not on such a grand scale. No, as, no. You know, it's it's more accepted here. Yeah. And I, I like that where you don't have to be ashamed of your own body. Exactly. And you're just taken for who you are and yeah yeah and i think that's that's a growing uh one thing i had to grow in um wh- when i moved here and Acceptance. i liked it. it's a really good good way to be accepted here yeah i think so it's a, a, a b- big first leap to yeah settling in denmark <laughs> is being able to shower naked and not care yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i had to go the other day it was it was part treatment with a close friend of mine and we've never been naked in each other's presence and then it was like a salt bath where we have to sit there floating <laughs> and, and we're like you know what let's do this because hey you know she's grown up in yeah. Denmark and you know I've been here seven years and it, I always felt like I'm not going to be shy and I'm not there's no way I'm going to go into that salt bath with my swimsuit so yeah. I'm going to go there in my in my bath dessert. Yeah, and it's just that sense of yeah it's totally normal yeah it is, it is normal and now I treat it normally normal yeah. too and yeah. I'm fine with it and yeah. I, I like it um now when I go to the US I'm just like oh yeah oh yeah this is not accepted here yeah I feel like <laughs> Americans are more conservative in that sense yeah they don't do the naked naked bath thing or anything mm. unless um they do and it's like specialized communities for those mm, for nudists. yeah <laughs> hippies or spe- special nudist communities or vegans <laughs> <laughs> well um you also had both your son or did you have both your sons here in denmark no um, one one in kenya yeah one in kenya and then one here in denmark yeah so how was that like for you having both your sons in two different countries was the experience different um it was more of a survival circumstances because i get really sick when i'm pregnant mm-hmm. and when i was pregnant with um my first child my husband and i we didn't know what was going on yeah so every time we went to the hospital they would say oh just go home and drink some ginger tea this happens to pre- This was in oh, Kenya? No this was in Denmark. I okay. got pregnant in Denmark. Okay. And so I you know I decided you know like I couldn't live like this I wasn't eating and I wasn't drinking it's only now with my second child we realized that I have a condition called hyperemesis okay which basically is like constant nausea and dehydration throwing up from fast uh, the minute you take your pregnancy test it's like the alarm bells go off and like your body's just saying what is this thing inside get me? it get, out get it out get it out <laughs> and so basically it's misery it's yeah. misery wow. from that moment so for for my own survival we decided i was going to go to kenya when mm-hmm. i was pregnant with my first 
because I couldn't get the foods that I craved for. You know, ah. I wanted like tropical fruits mm-hmm. and just really like organic things, roots, arrowroots. It's your home comfort food that you crave. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was also really uh, so tense for my husband because we were young and we didn't know what was going on and he couldn't make me the beans that I wanted the way I wanted. Oh. One day he made, I asked for beans and he brought me beans and he's, uh, if he's listening, he'll be like, she's telling that story again. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine what you have to go through. <laughs> you know, and he brought me beans and I was crying because they were done, they were not done the proper way, you yeah. know, that I wanted. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, like, and I was like, why are you trying to do this to me? You're killing me. <laughs> yeah. you know? And he's like, but, but, but. And then uh, right then and there we decided for my survival, I should go home. Mm-hmm. So I went home and it was like a blessing in disguise because when I went home, I was able to just... I became really reclusive and I stayed with my mom and she nursed me, mm-hmm. you know, I ate all the foods and the porridge that I like. And so I decided I'll give birth in Kenya. And then we came back when we came back to Denmark when my oldest was five months. Okay. Of course, it was really hard for for my husband and I. But I always say, like, look at the bigger picture. You know, we look at the bigger picture. It may be uncomfortable in the present that we're not there. But hey. I survived and yeah. the second one survived. And that was really different because uh, in Kenya, I'm sorry to say, but uh, like I'm I, I'm from the village. Uh-huh. Okay, not really village, village, as most people will imagine African villages <laughs> are like. A mad- smaller town, yeah. a smaller town. Yeah, I'm a, from a small town, fairly modernized, developed. But I feel like because I was really petite, uh-huh. when I went to give birth, the nurses really treated me as if I was like a, a teen mom. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was so angry because I really suffered. I was, uh, I have very quick labors. So I mm-hmm. give birth from my labor onset to birth. It takes uh, like one hour and 45 Whoa. minutes. Yeah. yeah. But it's madness. Yeah. It's just utter madness. And so like the nurses did not, did not want to give me any relief, even <gasps> like for me to sit down or on a wheelchair. And I remember like slithering on the wall because I was so hot and the wall was giving me like you know, <laughs> the relief that I needed. And my mom... <laughs> My mom was like in shock. She couldn't understand why they were not even letting her to be with me in the room to fan me or just comfort you, comfort me. And they were following me to the toilet and telling me, don't even try and take a shit because we know what you young girls come here to do. Like, yeah, I'm just going to go there and dump the baby, dump the baby (laughs) in the toilet. And I thought that was a fairly like it was a private hospital. So I thought I'm paying good money to get some torture. Yeah, fortunately, I went because um, in Kenya, sometimes you have to look for your own gynecologist mm-hmm. who like offer services in certain private hospitals. So I looked for recommendations from older women because I know older women don't want to, you know, they look for doctors with experience. So fortunately, I found a really good doctor and he was like my knight in shining armor towards. He came towards the last minute when I was delivering, but he made it. He made me. He treated me with decency, a lot of mm-hmm. decency, and he talked to me like I was a human being. Also, because he knew me mm-hmm. and he had been there with, like, I'd been attending clinics. Yeah. But it happened, like, really fast. And so coming here and now conceiving my second son, it was the same. I was really, really sick. And the problem with this sickness, it affects the brain. Yeah. So because I'm not getting enough nutrients, mm-hmm. so it like really messes up my whole thinking. And so one of the problems that I had from not eating and from being severely dehydrated 
was having suicidal ideations. Whoa. Yeah, because yeah. when you're not eating then the, or drinking, the next thing that seems like a relief is death, so yeah. to say. So, and our doctor was not taking us seriously. Yeah. So we went and she gave me acupuncture and I was like, what the heck is this? Like pins in your head. You know? <laughs> exactly. Where are the beans? Yeah. <laughs> not acupuncture, man. You know, and I'm lying there with acupuncture and, uh, you know, and then she gave me like a C a C band, the one you get like for seasickness. Mm. Yeah. Like, Just go home and listen to like meditative music. I'm like, I'm looking at my husband and I'm like, after this. She <laughs> wanna die young. Yeah. <laughs> and when we're about to leave, like my husband stopped and he was like, you know what? You don't live in our house and you're not seeing what I'm seeing. And this woman is really sick. And I'm scared that one day I'm going to take our oldest son to kindergarten, come home and find she's She's dead. Yeah. You know, either from the sickness or her harming herself. Yeah. So that's when, like, the doctor thought, okay, I don't want this on me. Oh, yeah. God, I have to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, she, I had had enough of her because she always sent us home. Like, going to her, I would be really sick. And then, like, my mind would, like, mess up and, like, mess me up and, like, go into, like, um, pause where I'm not feeling any symptoms. So I looked okay every time I turned up at her clinic. And we go home and it's like, it turns around. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so she finally like sent me to like the psychiatric hospital okay. for evaluation. Uh-huh. And then when I went to the psychiatric, I, I met a very good psychiatric yeah. who, who saw, you know, after we did the evaluation, she was able to pinpoint the real problem was that I was not getting enough nutrients. Ah, uh, okay. And that was affecting my mind. Okay. You know, I was really depressed because I was spending a lot of time lying down and not eating. So then I ended up being admitted for like 17 or 18 days in the hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they gave me nasogastric uh, feeding where they put a tube into my yeah. stomach. And, and I was like, all this time I've been suffering I could have had that even with my first child and not had yeah. to travel to Kenya. There's actually a unit in the hospital for yeah. pregnant women that go through the same thing that I go through. But the doctor doesn't tell you that. They just want you to go home and drink ginger tea. Yeah. <laughs> or get air. Yeah, or get air or exercise. <laughs> and you're like, come on. Go for a walk around the corner. Yeah, you know, or listen to some calm music. There's nothing. <laughs> So, but that thing, the intervention that I got and being being admitted in hospital was really hard, but I was able to get the help that I needed. Mm-hmm. And then I was put on medication that was safe for the baby, but that one that helped me balance up. So it was like two different, yeah. you know, like here I had to get like the medical intervention, but at home I did like the nutritional yeah. intervention. But I also got medication in Kenya was when I was in Kenya just to help me come uh, with the with the nausea. But when I was giving birth here, it was like I was treated like a princess. Yeah. I was like, what the heck is happening? The midwives were so good. They were rubbing my back. Yeah. And they even ran like a bathtub for me and say, do you want to do you have music on your like your iPhone that you want? And I was looking at my husband like. <laughs> this this felt it felt surreal, but yeah. then again, one hour forty five minutes, the baby was out. They didn't even fill the bathtub before the baby came out. It was like halfway out, and you yeah, were like yeah. walking to the tub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like boom, boom, boom. Because the minute I say I need to go to the toilet, now I knew because I remember you already what, had it. Yeah, the, and I said, oh, I need to use. And then I told the midwife, last time I said I needed to use the toilet, this happened. <laughs> you know, the baby was actually on its way out. Yeah, yeah. So it was like two two different. 
two different experiences and I mean I mean like doctors and nurses in Kenya are really hard pressed you know and so I feel like that sometimes can deride them of the empathy and compassion towards yeah. patients mm-hmm. and not all of them because I had a really good doctor and I had a good I met some good midwives but I it was like you know, the sun and the moon in terms of the experiences. Yeah. But in the end, I got my two handsome yeah, boys. You got, yeah, you got your two boys and that's all that matters. Yeah. The rest is just, you can Details. laugh at now. Yeah. It's like a memory that you can laugh at now, but not at the time. No, at the time I was like, <laughs> miserable. kill me now, <laughs> yeah. you know. But my son is really cognizant of the fact that he was born in Kenya. He's very proud of it. He's That's always, gonna be cool. Yeah, and he used to say that in in Banahe, and he would always be like, "Oh, you're forty Kenya," and they would be like, "Nah, men do come for Denmark," and he would always be like, "No, I don't. I come from Kenya." I'll be like, "You cannot tell a child because he does. He was really, you know, we we. It's where we are born that sometimes matters, even though we you've not lived there. But you can see everyone who was born in like a foreign country. It always comes like Mexican-born Kenyan actress Lupita Nyong'o. She's grown up in Kenya, but the fact that she was born in Mexico, Mexico is like, yeah, she's she's ours. Yeah, she's ours, yeah. <laughs> we own that. <laughs> she was born here. That's like the Philippines. Like yeah. a lot of uh, really uh, like actresses that are born in the Philippines. Like Philippines are like, yeah, yeah, that that's ours. Yeah. She was born here. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's the whole purpose. Like for me, also being a Kenyan mama, bro, because yeah. I want my children to be able to identify in in their heritage mm-hmm. and and there's a best in both I, f- I feel like children born from dual heritages have a lot to celebrate you know it's only when people try to say like oh my culture is more superior that we should like only feed the child my culture but i feel like a child benefits a lot from being wholesome you yeah. know like Lupita, she speaks Spanish, she speaks English, she speaks Swahili, Swahili. you know, she speaks Luo. See, you know, she's, yeah. and I'm, when I look at my children, I'm like, I want my children to, to be, be like that. Yeah, you know. Multiple languages. Exactly, because I feel it just makes it, it gives them more possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It does, definitely. Yeah. Do you um, try to keep the same values and traditions you have from home while raising your kids here in Denmark? Um. Well, to be honest, I feel like in the beginning I was, but then I realized that <laughs> some traditions that I grew up with, as I've grown, like the older I've become, I realized that we were really messed up. Yeah. You know, because they were not founded on my own culture, yeah. but mostly on a colonial heritage, yeah. you know, and a Eurocentric religion, yeah. you know. And so I grew up really Catholic mm-hmm. and, you know, I went to like a post-colonial school. Mm-hmm. So I grew up like with English education and, you know, like a really uh, Christian background. And then it's it's lately that I realized I, I really don't want my children. I want them to inherit what my heritage is, mm-hmm. Kikuyu, being Kikuyu, being Kenyan, being African, not being this product of colonial uh, colonial education or product of a religion that I really sometimes feel is so foreign that I want them to sort of... So I feel like late, uh, having children has help, has made me like look back and like shake myself off and question things, why things, because I feel like I just followed things blindly because... I say so, you know, when your parents is because I say so. You yeah. have to go to that church. And so 
I mean, I I know this, especially some listeners, if they're from Kenya, they would think like, oh, she's not bringing her children up in church. And I was for some time. And then I was like, why am I? Why am I putting them through religion? Well, my, um, myself, I'm thinking um, this religion for me is foreign. Yeah. You know, I just took it because it's what I found my, my family in. But when I read my history and uncover my heritage, I see like my great-grandfather was, you know, the Christians then or the Catholics then would call him like a black, you know, he was in, into black magic. Mm-hmm. But in that element of our heritage, he was into spiritualism, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm rediscovering that. And I feel like it's rooted me in another place where I can firmly say that I am Kikuyu. Mm-hmm. And not a kikuyu as a byproduct of everything else, yeah. because Christianity and this religion is only like a hundred years old, and my culture has existed yeah. since the beginning of time. Yeah, you know. But when we put this into focus, it's always about oh, but you know, like Christianity is all this and this. But I'm like, yes, but it's a foreign religion, you know. So um, I'm in a process of. Yeah, there's some things that, of course, I pass on to my children. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I do that mainly through my storytelling yeah. and through my food. Mm-hmm. But some things I feel like I need to also like go back into my own books and reconfigure who I am before I can start saying, like, I'm passing this to you when I feel like I'm already having like some crisis. Yeah, you're like, why, why am I passing this yeah, to you? Yeah, exactly. And I don't want to be the kind of parent who says, because I say so, yeah. or because we've done this. And it's like, why have we done this? Yeah. So I mean, a lot of, I mean, a phase where I'm in questioning the whys and the hows of how things were done, because I find that there's a lot of dysfunction mm-hmm. in certain ways. I mean, like, I grew up in a culture where we were beaten to death in school and at home because of punishment. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't want to do the same to, to my kids. But yeah. it can be very tricky to feel authoritative. And, and, like, in Denmark, you have to be really... Because children are taught to compromise and mm-hmm. to have opinions. And so I'm always, like, doing that thing of having communication with my children and listening and letting them know that it's okay to raise their opinions and Mm -hmm. I will listen to them even when I don't agree with them I will listen to them and that is quite totally different from how How you grew up yeah how we grew up you know because it was just that in school you are actually punished for having an opinion yeah that's the same for I I spent my first two years in school in the Philippines and even if you say one thing it's like a hand raised at you it's you're threatened by like no this is how it is and you don't question it yeah yeah I received a lot of I am actually sometimes when I look at my oldest son I see a lot of myself in him and I tell him I am so happy that you're not growing up in my era in Kenya because my child (laughs) it was hard yeah it was really hard and for me because I was really an opinionated kid I received a lot of backlash (laughs) for that I, I was beaten left right center you know yeah but it made who you are today and yeah but have I've a also, voice yeah it I has that but i feel like it, it the the backside of that is that you you just you sort of like end up folding and conforming yeah because every time you have an opinion you're being told like no you have to think this way or do this you know so you end up just conforming and losing the parts of you that are authentic mm-hmm. and so um, as much as it, who, you know, my culture and my upbringing shaped me, it, I've also had to, like, shed those layers. Yeah. And I feel like now in my seventh year in Denmark, I can say, well, this is who I am, 
you know that I'm actually it's like you know when you uh, a chameleon or a sh- yeah. snake sheds all the, the la- skin, yeah, yeah the skin and and grow into who I am as a person but takes a lot of time and takes it's an unco- I feel like it's been an uncomfortable process and maybe I was able to do that and to reflect all that by living here because when you're outside your culture you can stand aside and look at the things from a distance yeah. and say okay th- th- this works for me this doesn't work yeah. and I'm still because you know like Christianity believes in hell and heaven and I'm like well hell and heaven is all right here you know the yeah. things we go through yep. here <laughs> sometimes you go through hell and you're like is there anything else worse than this you know <laughs> and then there are moments when you go through bliss that feels like heaven so I feel yeah. like that's true yeah amen <laughs> <laughs> Being a mixed race, does your kids ever question uh, why they look a bit different than the other uh, Danish kids? Like they don't have blonde hair and blue eyes. And yeah. has that been uh, raised in your family? And how do you address it? I, my my oldest son, like I think when he went to school is when he started to notice that, hey, wait a minute. One day he came and said, mommy, you're, you're, you're from Kenya and so you're brown, black, whatever. And daddy is from Denmark, and so he's white. But I have this friend called Mohammed. His mother is from Somali, and his dad is Somali. But Mohammed looks like me. What's going on? Because <laughs> 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 it's like, but his father is not white. So how come I look like Moha- me and Mohammed look like each other? And then I'll be like, that's because Somali and Kenya are neighboring countries, and so we mm-hmm. share like the same, you know, like DNA or genetics. Yeah. But is that concept like he's trying to understand and configure these things because he finds he he also relates more with um, children from like Arabic background, mm-hmm. but also with Danish. So he's he's finding his ways yeah. with the oldest one. And so one day he came and he had like this epiphany and he said, I get it. Daddy is cheese and you're chocolate <laughs> and I'm vanilla. And I was like, yep. Yep, that's how it is. I was like, yeah, baby, you're my vanilla baby. Yeah. So uh, the oldest one is still... Analyzing. Uh, yeah, he's still analyzing. And I think he really doesn't care that much. But I feel like now, especially my oldest one, because he he quite, he uh, he, he has this moment where he thinks th- things through and then he asks me. But usually he asks me something after he's thought through it. Mm. And with uh, in regard to his looks, I feel like he's so proud and now I'm all about like combing their hairs into afros. And yeah. he's like, mommy, I want my hair to be, you know, to grow as, you know, into a big afro. And he's like, he's always like, one day he t- he said to me, I'm so happy you called me Fadili and my little brother Faraji. Because we are the only two in Denmark with those names. I'm so glad you didn't call me Noah or Emil Lars. or Lars. <laughs> <laughs> because then we would be so many. And so... But I feel this comes from me constantly exposing them to their Kenyan heritage and the travels that we do back to Kenya because then they're also able to see other people who look like me. And I also have many Kenyan friends here who are also in interracial Mm -hmm. relationships. So they're able to see themselves in different places and they also have a really big Danish family. Yeah. So they don't have that sense of, oh, being left out. Yeah, or having a crisis of identity, yeah. and I hope they never have. Yeah. yeah. Any advice for people listening that's f- kind of facing the same question that they're ki- from their kids? Because my daughter sometimes asks, like, why do I have brown hair, but um, uh, my friend Clara has blonde hair? Yeah, I feel like, okay, speaking from, like, an African point of view or a black person point yeah. of view, I feel... 
from my experience of what I've witnessed with some families is that when you have a sense of inferiority as a mm-hmm. parent, you tend to transmit that to your children by not exposing them to your culture. So some people always feel like, ah, it's an inferior to take my child back to my country or expose them to my language. And I'm always surprised by how many Africans don't speak their mother tongue to their children. I am also a victim. Mm. But I can explain that because we have so many languages. So sometimes it's hard for me to choose do I speak Kuyu or Swahili or English to my children. So you have to say, okay, maybe if I speak English to them, it's more universal. Mm. And there are more resources. So now we've done the English part. We're already good at English. And then now I've started Swahili because there are more resources. Swahili. Kikuyu, unfortunately, because of colonization, it was taken during out from the our curriculum. And so we were punished for speaking vernacular in school. Mm. So I never learned my mother tongue in school. All the mother tongue that I know, the writ- written and, and, and read, um, mother tongue, is uh, it's self-taught. I know spoken word because our we were um, history was passed through folk tales. So my grandmother used to tell lots of stories. So that's how I learned, you know. And of course, speaking with my mom and in the community because we are like six million of us. But but so I when I found like I discovered okay I can do this in in batches. But then I find like it's the same. Most Africans rarely speak to their children in their mother tongue. They always go for English. But then it's because of this like dynamic. We have so many languages that you have to sit back and think, okay, which is the most feasible? And so now, fortunately, my mom speaks English, so she can understand. But I feel like when, when you as a parent have inferiority complex or when you view your culture as inferior to the one you're married into or you're living into, you will always shortchange your children. But that's the great in- greatest injustice that you can because, like I mentioned with Lupita, the example, yeah. Lupita or Trevor Noah, all, all like my favorite Africans living and doing big in, in the Western world, they are all a product of being exposed to all cultures, you know. So don't shortchange your child by thinking that, oh, you cannot take them to, because some people will be like, oh, but it's in, uh, there's a lot of insecurity in my home country. And so you only put your kids in a hotel in, you know, where there's Wi-Fi. And I'm like, I take my kids to the village. I want them running after my mother's chickens. I want yeah. them seeing a different life because they can go to malls here in Denmark. Yeah. They have access to Wi-Fi. I don't want them seeing an extension of Denmark in Kenya. So yeah. we go down in the village because that's where I come from. You know, we go to the city maybe for a few days and they're really, they're not interested yeah. in being in the city. They always want to be in the village because they then there are more kids running after them, playing with them. And so I feel like most people who, if you, you know, you come from a third culture or a developing culture, you must expose your children to your culture. It's the greatest gift you can give to them, you know. And it's also like, I feel like my kids, they they're much happier and they um they they you know they have a like a deep relationship with my mom mm-hmm. because they're constantly seeing her even though we go for only one month they look forward to that they look forward to the uh, you know talking to her on phone because they have that relationship but if i denied them that because we don't visit kenya because maybe it's easier to go to malaga yeah. or or to go to tenerife instead of going to kenya i would be denying them access yeah. To their culture. So we must, it's a proactive thing. I feel like it's something that you as, you know, when you're living abroad, you must 
want to do it and you must be conscious of passing on your heritage because if you don't no one else will no yeah, one else will you definitely. know they will grow up here and they'll be like i'm danish yeah 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 you're danish and then someone will be like yeah but you don't look like us so how can you be danish and they'll be like oh yeah wait a minute <laughs> and you know like i admire arab families mm-hmm. you know and somalian families i admire how much i mean people here will say like it's a parallel like society and they live in their own world but hey their children those who are able to access both worlds end up being great you know yeah they end up being great because they like don't limit your child to only thinking and doing things your way just open them up so that and at the end of the day they have the best of both worlds yeah and that i think that's a great way for you to raise your kids and yeah. i also do the same with my kids i try to introduce them to the american culture not so much the philippines because i my parents actually didn't do that to me they mm. didn't uh have uh exposed me to the philippines yeah. culture we did by going to church and doing like filipino activities but i never felt filipina yeah uh i look filipina but um i was never yeah i yeah. went to visit there but i always just visited yeah but that's the thing that i'm talking about yeah. when you move to especially as adults because we we f- like most people when they immigrate to like a fast world country they feel like it's a privilege so t- try and tone down try and fit and that's why i have a problem with the world integration or mm-hmm. assimilation because i'm like why should you fit in when you can be yourself and bring the best of yourself to the table because yeah. when you tone down then you end up you know denying your children and denying yourself this m- unique being that you are you yeah. know and it's just something that comes from you know when people m- migrate into because you don't see this in some cultures like f- a french person living in denmark yeah that's normal <laughs> yeah, they, they will speak but, it, but it's, a, it's a thing that it, in, in the integration process in denmark is kind of put on like yeah. you know because i went through it a little bit and then i went out because it was they were trying to in a way they wanted you to become a dane yeah yeah but you know in england nobody, no, cares. nobody cares yeah, yeah. and that yeah. and that made the culture really vibrant in a yeah. way you know because yeah. everybody was where they were and they actually integrated yeah. far easier yeah and i mean you have to understand like you know like the differences between england and and denmark like it's only i think until the 70s or 80s that Denmark started to uh, you know get like an influx of immigrants you know with the war happening whether it was in Yugoslavia or in the Middle East so most people really never had that contact of you know like foreigners or immigrants but England having had the you know Yeah but there is I think there is a colony a Chinese colony in Liverpool that is over 300 years old Yeah oh, wow yeah Yeah I mean I had my son's pedagogue teacher when yeah. he was in when he started kindergarten who came and told me like oh you know now you're in Denmark you must speak um, you know Danish to to your child and you know I thought about it and I said well I'm learning Danish yeah just the same way my child is learning Danish so if I'm to speak Danish to him I'm speaking like really broken Danish yeah. to him you know that's how I am with my daughter yeah and I was like why should I speak to my child in a language that I'm learning what's wrong with my language you mm-hmm. know and so i was really conflicted about that and so one of the things that you can see the differences in, in my children is like my youngest one is really good in swahili and english and mm-hmm. danish because i when i was you know st- i still my had my first one and i went to the doctor for one of his checkup and the doctor asked me what language do you speak to your child in and i said i speak in danish and she said but how long have you been here and i think then it was five years and she said don't speak to your child in danish 
Mm. Speak to your child in the language that you think and dream in. And I, I speak and think and dream in, in English thanks to the education that I had. Yeah. Not that I'm so proud of that. But that put a pulse on me and I thought, in Kenya, when you're three years old or when you're going to primary school at maybe six or seven years old, mm -hmm. you have at least three languages or two languages. That we you're learning. Yeah, we code switch. We speak, you know, without batting an eyelid. Mm -hmm. But here, it's, I think that threat of that it's a small country and so they want to preserve their culture. So when I understood that, and so I had to teach now my kids and say we speak our languages we do things there is no threat this child is still going to be danish because they're growing up here yeah. but i feel like it's just that sense integration there's a lot of fear that these people are going to come here and they're going to take over and run down our country and then we'll be minorities will never happen it will never happen i, no will, I will tell you something as well if things are good people try to preserve good things exactly you yeah. know so if the culture is great the culture is going to transcend exactly and i feel like it's also because the media is always hyping like mm. immigrants and putting this like negative narrative but most people really just want to do good yeah, and and maintain a good you know exactly and and not be forced to do things in a sudden way because when you force people to do things then they start to oppose and i oppose completely i mean yeah. and, you know like i i like to be here in Denmark, I have wonderful Danish friends. I appreciate what Denmark is. Yeah. I don't want to be Danish. I'm yeah. happy to who I am. You yeah. Know? So therefore, I quit that sort of thing. Yeah. But, but uh, Yeah, and I feel like it also comes from when you know yourself, why do you want to be someone else? You know, yeah. when you know you who you are and you're proud of who you are, why do you want to fold and be someone else? You know, yeah. but I, it's a process. It's a process that comes from self-awareness and, you know, being proud of who you are. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of internationals need to, or that's raising their child in a different country country needs to be able to like, this is my culture and mm. not uh, take it away from their kids exactly. and keep it and preserve it. Yeah. Um, I've been following you for a while now on your blog, and I was just uh, wondering why you started to blog and write your experience in Denmark and also with your photography and sharing your foods. Uh, what inspired you to take that leap and share it to the public? I think for me, it's sort of, I call it a self-preservation. Mm -hmm. I'm preserving who I am and sort of like leaving a roadmap where I can see where I've come from mm -hmm. and where I'm going. And so I'm like writing my, leaving my footprints in the sand. Yeah. Because having, you know, my background, I'm a journalist. I'm trying yes. as a journalist and a photographer. And I found like coming here, I had to deal with so much, raising kids and a new identity. But now I can appreciate that having a blog has been like my little flag of saying, I'm still here. This is the authentic me. Because I, I started that as sharing my, my chronicles, you know, and now with photography, I've gone back into photography because I love I love photography. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just my happiest behind the camera. And now that I've finally made it a business, it's more of like now saying, okay, you know, stay true to yourself. And again, going back to the basics of who I am and raising that to to be who I want to be moving forward in Denmark. So yeah, it's sort of like a self preservation <laughs> for me. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes courage to share, you know, your lives or people's lives pub publicly. So thank you for sharing yours because I definitely follow you. And I told you before we met that I was like, oh, I, I've been following you for so long. And it yeah. was so nice to meet you in person and, and talk to you. And yeah. just want to say, like, thank you for sharing your experience here in Denmark. Um, I can relate to one of the posts that you wrote about, you know, food. 
where here in Denmark, we practically have to beg our kids to eat <laughs> for some reason. But yeah. for you and I growing up, um, I remember in the Philippines or even the U.S. that if we don't, if we don't eat, you yeah. don't eat. Yeah, yeah. You and don't then, starve. Yeah, you starve. And then here in Denmark, it's like, come on, have that piece of chicken. Yeah. Maybe you'll get a candy afterwards. It's like, yeah. why is it such a struggle to yeah. feed your child yeah. versus before we're like, oh, I'm going to eat whatever because I don't yeah. know what I'm going to yeah. eat. Yeah, it's also like I feel like there are more options here. Yeah, you know. and they're more relaxed here. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, you don't eat, you didn't eat, you can just have rhubarb afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Besides writing and photography, what else uh, do you do in Denmark uh, before we wrap everything up? Besides writing and photography, I feel like <laughs> I am more like of a mom. I'm a homemaker. Yeah. You know, I really love this because being away from living away from Kenya, I finally feel like I was able to like build my own island and steer my ship the way I want. Yeah. Because, you know, there's that sense of independence when you're away from your support system or from your comfort zone. So I really enjoy being me. And before I realized that it's actually an enjoy, like a, a pleasurable process, I was getting very like stressed because I wanted to be like this career woman. But I enjoy being a homemaker, you know, and I enjoy the process of, just rediscovering things because I have a lot of time to like rediscover who I am and what my what what my heritage is about. So I feel like I'm really in a privileged position to be able to have this time to, you know, write my own story yeah. in the way that I want. It's not a privilege that mis- many people have if you have to, you know, be chasing around children or a paycheck and everything. So I feel like I have a, a balanced life that gives me that opportunity to be a writer and a photographer and just to become who I want to be. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining my podcast and radio show and talking about your journey here in Denmark. It's definitely nice to uh, talk to you and see how you saw or how you lived here in Denmark. If you can tell the listeners um, where they can find you or follow your journey. Yeah, I'm on Facebook as Memoirs of a Kenyan Mom Abroad and Instagram. Um, I have two Instagram accounts, a, Ken- a Kenyan Kitchen Abroad, where I share my food and also as Judy Wanjiko Yonsen on Instagram, where I share my photo, my photography. And also as Candid Photography by Judy Wanjiko Yonsen on Facebook. I'm like all over social media. Yeah, no, that's great. That's so good. And like this, you ask, Judy yeah. has it, man. <laughs> and this is like a really good way for people to either follow you or follow your or your blog. And I think it's it's great that you're sharing yeah. because people can learn learn from it and what they're yeah. going through. Yes. So um, I'll have all the information on my website on mykidsthinkimcoolbutt.com. You can check out her work or follow her on social media. And she just told uh, everyone where it is. So this is the wrap for this uh, podcast and this episode. Um, And thank you for joining. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram or Facebook too. Until next time, everyone. Bye. Bye.